Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's nerve-wracking to think that a business I built successfully for 29 years is on the brink. It is the worst waiting game in my life, trying to deal with the government. There's an urgent push to get more funding for the Paycheck Protection Program. My business has fallen through the cracks. The Small Business Loan Program is out of money. Everything I've worked for was just gone in a flash. I mean, just like a light switch. Us true small businesses, who do we have fighting for us? $360 billion. That's how much money Congress set aside for new loans to help get small businesses through the coronavirus pandemic. Weeks later, hundreds of thousands of those businesses say they did everything right and still haven't seen a dime. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here once again with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. So we're bringing you episodes of Open Record, still bringing you them each and every day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news. We are recording this episode on Tuesday morning, April 21st. We know small businesses all over the country are hurting. They were offered a lifeline, but that was pulled away before many could grab on. Fox 6 reporter Angelica Sanchez has been tracking how COVID-19 is hitting Wisconsin's small business community. Hi, Angie. Buenos dias, everyone. How are we doing? Good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Angie, several weeks ago when Congress passed the CARES Act, more than $2 trillion in support in various ways, we heard a lot about how the PPP, this Paycheck Protection Program, was going to help small businesses. First of all, just what is the Paycheck Protection Program? Well, essentially, it was the lifeline for these small businesses. It was really that uh, light at the end of the tunnel for what had been a really tough month of March. And it was going to forgive. It was these loans that they could get, and they were forgivable loans so long as the employees were kept in these small businesses. So it was to be used for payroll, for rent, for mortgage and interest. And I think it was just the biggest uh, hit to the gut when we learned last week that that money was all out. And as you were talking to small business owners, they have that hope, they're applying for those loans. What was that process like for them? Well, from my understanding, um, it was a very lengthy application. And some of these businesses jumped on that within the hour it was available, within 48 hours it was available. And none of the businesses that I talked to got uh, any of that money. None of them. No, none of them. And I think that that's where a lot of the frustration is coming is that 
you know, something that I learned through my reporting was that if you were a responsible small business owner that had insurance, your insurance provider was not going to cover you through a pandemic. The policies, I think, were tweaked about a decade ago when H1N1 happened um, to make it so that if a pandemic happened, you could not file a business disruption claim. So had these businesses been hit by a fire, a hurricane, a tornado, they would be okay through this. But because of this, um, they can't. They can't file with their insurance. And they now this uh, protection program uh, is out. So you find businesses who essentially a lot of them have done everything right. And at this moment, they are facing closing their doors for good because they just they're not seeing the way out. There is no way out. Angie, you said that you talked to several businesses. Can you give us an example of the types of business owners or businesses that you had uh, contact with who didn't get in on this program in time? Uh, yeah. So, uh, for example, um, last last week, just because it's really fresh in my mind, uh, a non-essential business would be a bowling alley. So in Racine, um, Castle Lanes, the owner there, Philip, he just described to us an endless loop of emails is what he's been stuck on. So when we, when Fox 6 called him, he couldn't believe that, number one, he was talking to a person who had actually read his email and kind of had an understanding of what he was going through. So if you, and I believe we're playing some of those sound bites in the beginning of this podcast, those are very powerful and impactful sound bites just because um, you know, he's a non-essential business who tried to apply for this. And he told me this was a lot of paperwork. And it is just a punch to the gut when you realize that that money is all out. We know that Congress could come to an agreement this week, maybe even today. By the time you're listening to this episode, things might have changed. They might come to an agreement on pumping more money into this program to give businesses those forgivable loans. But Angie, it sounds like even if that happens, it could still be a slow go. And we have a lot of businesses that are a little gun shy after the last time around. Well, not just how slow this process could be, but I mean, the mayor, Tom Barrett, mayor of Milwaukee, um, he just put out a press release this morning just saying, if this becomes available, apply as soon as possible. Don't wait. So that's kind of painting a picture of the urgency of how quickly this money could go again. I try to imagine, sort of picture those uh, cartoons from back when I was growing up, watched a lot of Looney Tunes, and you imagine like a feeding frenzy where just everyone rushes in to a pile of whatever it is, and within seconds it's gone, and you've got all these people left waiting on the outside where they got nothing. That's kind of what happened here. And and what we're hearing is that in many cases, the people who were on the inside of that feeding frenzy who got the biggest chunk of whatever it was, in this case, obviously, it was this, this loan money, were not necessarily the smallest businesses. It sounds like there were some that were larger businesses that got a big chunk of this money that caused it to run out so quickly. Is that right, Angie? Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing is, and I looked it up, a small business is defined as any place uh, with 500 employees or less. So I think the biggest headline maker yesterday was Shake Shack giving back that $10 million. They technically do qualify for this loan. Um, So they applied for, and I think they got it rather quickly. Um, and, and so I think a lot of these chain restaurants that did qualify for it were able to get that 
uh, that loan, but the argument is being made is that they have more avenues than I think your neighborhood restaurant has, than you know the 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 store with the unique candles has. Uh, they have more avenues on how to obtain a, other lo- loans elsewhere. So I think that's where. Um, a lot of frustration has come. And I think we're kind of getting a bigger picture as to who was able to get this money. And Angie, before we started recording this episode, you and I were talking about how no business is really in a position to turn down money right now, right? Even the larger businesses are experiencing that struggle. But as you pointed out, it's how many ways do you have to be able to fall back on to help carry you through this time, especially when we don't know how long this is going to go on or what it's going to look like at the other end? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the conversations before another uh, loan program is made available has to be is how is this going to be written to benefit what 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 I think small businesses like what we think of as maybe 30 employees or less. Um, I think that, you know, the the 10 million that Shake Shack was able to obtain again just shows they can they can turn that money down because they have avenues elsewhere and while no business right now is in the position to turn down that kind of money um, I think that this next loan program needs to be written for those businesses that really this would be their only way out this is the only way that they can keep their doors open well, I know in in doing prep for this podcast, you know, we always try to become quick experts on subjects that we knew nothing about the day before. And and I was reading that there is some real controversy about some auto dealers that as as chains as as large dealerships have huge, you know, maybe thousands and thousands of employees nationwide, but they've treated this and applied as individual local dealerships as franchises essentially where they get under that 500 cap and and in the end you we saw 44% of the money available in the first round of this program that went to 4% of the requesters, which obviously means uh, almost half the money got got consumed by a small number of requesters. Then you have those mom and pops you're talking about that are sort of left waiting, trying to figure out what to do. Is there, do we know, is there discussion if there's this second round of money of trying to limit this in ways that these smaller businesses that are looking for maybe $150,000 just to get by, uh, of making sure that money gets there, or are those the discussions that are likely going on as we record this podcast? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what's happening. And uh, last night I actually saw an article on Politico where small businesses are suing some of the big banks uh, for how this money was distributed, saying that they favored their bigger uh, their bigger customers than their smaller customers. So uh, again, I think that because that money ran out so quickly, um, I think that they weren't prepared for millions of dollars in loans going out right away. Uh, but again, like you mentioned, some of these uh, companies were able to apply as if they were a smaller business. And again, it, it, it was just the way I think that the language was written that allowed them to do that, um, that they were able to apply in that way. But again, I think that they have to look at the language so that, again, these mom and pop shops are able to get some of that cut. And again, this is just for them to stay afloat. I want to I wanna say that, you know, this money, these loans uh, that some of these smaller businesses are asking for is just for them to stay afloat. This is still not an ideal situation for them um, at, at any point. As you've spoken to the different small business owners, Angie, are, were they experiencing 
similar kinds of frustrations? Was there a variety of issues getting through to get these loans? What was that reaction from them? Because like you mentioned, we have different size businesses, different types of businesses. So I'd imagine their experiences are all different to a certain degree. Yeah. And I think at at this point, um, the size of the small business, I think, is unified by the fear of not knowing what's next. I think it's just um, it's just been hit after hit and a door closing and another door closing. Um, And so I think that they are frustrated that there is no safety net right now, no matter how responsible of a business owner you were before this there just doesn't appear to be a safety net. And and one thing I want to point out is through my interviews, what surprised me the most is that these small businesses at the top of their list is, what about my employees? You know, these small businesses, they're, they have maybe 10, 20 employees max. These people become their, their friends, their family. And knowing that they can't pay their employees right now, that sends them where? To what's becoming a very long unemployment line. So what's really struck me is just that when this program ran out, it wasn't just about keeping their doors open, but it's realizing that they can't pay their employees at a time when everybody needs a little extra extra cushion uh, during this pandemic. On the flip side, there is something that that has come up that is interesting within the restaurant industry, and that is National Restaurant Association is now saying even if there's a second influx into this program, these loans just may not fit a lot of restaurants because the whole the, one of the premises behind these loans is that you 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 pay them back, or or I should say they're forgiven if you keep employees on the payroll for eight weeks, I believe it is. And, and the idea is to keep people out of unemployment, to keep them from being jobless during the peak of all of this. But for restaurants, a lot of the wages people earn are from tips. And so their paychecks, just based on what they get paid, are not particularly high. And so what a lot of restaurants are finding is that employees are doing better on unemployment than they ever would have working for the restaurant because of the extra unemployment money that's been added to help with the pandemic. So you have people who are in Wisconsin, potentially able to get more than $900 a week on unemployment where they might have only made four or $500 a week at a restaurant. So some restaurants are concerned that this program actually sort of disincentivizes uh, employees from staying on their payroll. And now the restaurant industry sort of wants its own bailout package. I think we're going to see a lot more of, of people saying we need something that's tailored to us to get us through this time. So this is certainly intended to help small businesses, but it seems like as we're seeing, there are a lot of holes and a lot of people being left on the sidelines. Well, and we've talked a lot over the last few days about the pushback against Governor Tony Evers' extension of the stay-at-home order. And Angie, I'm interested in hearing what the small business owners you've spoken to think about that. Are they pushing for things to open up? Are they worried that if things open up too fast, that's going to hurt their business more in the long run? What's the perspective on that? You know, I think it's the greatest dilemma right now for any small business owner um, to to open and and potentially open yourself up to uh, probably some lawsuits because right now, in I've I've heard from a legal standpoint, you know, this pandemic maneuvering this pand- pandemic and venturing through this is that uh, you have to really un- have an understanding for what's allowed. Uh, and what you can, uh, how you can operate safely. So I think the big dilemma right now 
uh, for small businesses is how can you still operate during this? And um, then again, having that perspective of public health is really important right now. So I would just describe it as a great dilemma in their minds. Um, I know that nobody wants to, no small business owner right now wants to hear uh, that there will be an extension to Safer at Home. I think a lot of them understand, but I do I do believe that if there was that safety net, if they knew that they could have access to a loan, if they knew their insurance could cover them, I don't think there would be so much fear and anxiety for an extension of Safer at Home. We got a message from a podcast listener this morning that I want to read because I think it captures some of those Uh, worries you just described, Angie. So this message is from Aaron. And he says, love what you guys are doing with this podcast. I just wanted to add my two cents in with this new extension. From my opinion, I don't think anyone is opposed to being overly cautious in dealing with these deadlines. But what is definitely a driving force in my initial reaction to news such as the extension is that the people that are making these decisions to keep things shut down are the ones who do not have to worry about their paychecks their jobs possibly going out of business, or paying babysitters. Elected officials are financially okay. They're not living paycheck to paycheck. Their income hasn't stopped. So seeing our state and federal leaders give us news each day about how we're all doing a great job, but let's keep pushing, we'll never have their paychecks in question. Is that a sentiment you've heard from the business community? Because a lot of people making these decisions don't run small businesses. Some state lawmakers do, and they've referenced that in their response to this. But we're in a weird situation where a lot of the people making the decisions have maybe never walked in your shoes. You know, and I think that's where journalism right now has is playing the highest role it's ever played, I think, because we are filtering that. We are bringing those voices um, to the radio, to newspapers, to the television screens that all of our policymakers are tuning into. And one example I can say, um, last Friday when I spoke with Philip, the owner of Castle Lanes and Racine, um, and I, I told you guys how he described being in a endless loop of emails and could not believe we were reaching out to him. His interview was incredibly moving. And if he's listening, I just want to applaud him for being brave, for being vulnerable, and for really just showing us what it's like and asking for help publicly, which I know can be a very hard thing for any of us to do. Um, His interview was so profound that I believe it was right after it aired in our five o'clock show when we cut to commercial, he got a call from the mayor of the city of Racine. uh, And he had been trying to reach out to the mayor, to his alderman. He'd been reaching out. He'd reached out to the governor. You know, he's trying to reach out to anybody that will listen um, to his frustrations and his plan on how he thinks he could safely operate uh, during this pandemic. So I think that it's just about being heard and, I think that right now we play a big role in these bringing these voices that, again, are stuck in that endless loop of emails, bringing these voices to policymakers' attention. When you think of what we're facing, and I always talk at times uh, with, with my wife about, uh, about the, the concept of assuming positive intent, and, it, and it's hard to do in politics for sure, but if you assume positive intent for everyone going through what we're going through right now, those who want everyone to continue staying at home have the intention of saving lives, of, of knocking down the spread of this virus. Those who want to open businesses up want to save their dreams, their investments, their employees, their futures. 
So they all have positive intent. The question is, doing both of those things at the same time at times comes into conflict. And, and really, that's where we are right now is what's the best path forward. And, and it, this program was designed to be a patch to get us through the toughest part and hopefully come out on the other side. But when it runs out of money so quickly and that patch didn't work, it certainly raises anxiety, as you said, Angie. And, and, and you do wonder if there's another infusion of money, will it alleviate some more of the fears? Will it help some people who are looking at otherwise shuttering their businesses to get through just the next you know, five to six weeks of what we're looking at here in Wisconsin. And that all remains to be seen, but this is a big issue for, for, you know, people on all sides of this. And again, this is not in a, an ideal situation. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, this loan, once businesses get this loan, they're going to be okay. They'll be able to uh, recover quickly. This is just for businesses. I want to stress this to stay afloat. Um, this is just giving them a shot because from, you know, my understanding, uh, for example, Philip said how he has 50000 in the bank, but 40000 in expenses. That's going to go rather quickly in the month of April. And then you've got May now with this extension. So I think that policymakers need to understand that businesses are just, you know, these loans are just their shot at staying open. It's still not the guarantee that they will remain open. And that's why I think that it's just been a huge heartbreak to learn how that money quickly, just quickly went. And I think in the coming days, we're going to learn more about where exactly it went and how it was distributed. And if there is another loan that comes down the line, I hope that the language is written so that these smaller places, um, these smaller businesses, the neighborhood restaurants have a better shot at obtaining it because really a community, a neighborhood, it's made up of these small businesses. It's, you know, people that are employing people in the neighborhood. And that's what I think really makes an area truly great. So it's, it's really heartbreaking just to see what they're going through. And again, no matter how much they've done right, this is what, it, this is the biggest challenge to navigate. And there doesn't seem to be a fast enough way out. Angie, it's been great having you on the podcast today. It's, it, one of the fun things about doing these has been having uh, you know, different people from the newsroom join us and, and share some of the work you're doing. So we enjoy having you on and look forward to having you on as a, as a guest again. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. And if there's a topic you want us to discuss on the podcast, an issue you think we should further investigate and then bring here to the podcast, please send us an email to the investigators at fox6now.com. That's T-H-E investigators at fox6now.com. Thanks again to Angelica Sanchez for joining us today. And thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.